Amen, amen. Told you it's going to be a little different. You can be seated, and we are going to get into God's Word. You just got your cardio in. You feel it? Y'all fired up and ready? There is more coming. There is more coming. Uh, we actually have, in many ways, inverted the service. So if you're used to a lot of praise and worship before the message, we're going to do that on the back end today. So it's coming, y'all. It's coming. As we get into God's Word, we are in this series, Kingdom Living, and as we think about kingdom living, uh, I'm actually moving outside of the Sermon on the Mount, still w- within the book of Matthew, uh, but, but moving to uh, some space that I believe we need to speak to right now in order to live the Sermon on the Mount and the kingdom life that Jesus is called to. And, and so as we look at this, this has uh, been bathed in a lot of prayer. It's also been bathed in a lot of listening to what we're going through. You know, it, it is evident that as our staff and as our leadership talks to our flock and our people, and uh, that there's a lot of conflict, a lot of uh, battles going on. Some of you, uh, you don't even quite know what to call it. You just know that the last week or two weeks or maybe the last month has been a bit of a struggle. Anybody? I mean, we, we have sensed and heard a little bit of an uptick in spiritual warfare and struggle, and, and I feel like God wants us to be equipped for that today because it's normative in Scripture, especially when God begins to move. There can be this chaos, but a God who says, listen to me, let me reveal myself, I'm going to give you clarity. In fact, I would tell you as we look at this today, Much of the text we're going to look at is how Jesus is made known in the middle of all of that and how he wants to be known in this season through your life and through the life of our church. Uh, if, If you think of it this way, you and I are in a very chaotic time right now in our world. Kingdom living requires revelation and clarity in order to live Jesus's way in this chaotic time. That's what God's word does is it brings revelation, it brings clarity. Anybody else need some of that today? As we dive into this, the phrase uh, that kind of was sticking in my mind as I walked through this and began to look at the scripture that that God was giving me for this morning, I, I began to, okay, I'm not about the chaos, but I'm about what Jesus showed me. In fact, the phrase would be, I'm about that. Can you say that with me? I'm about that. My hope is today that a part of you is able to say, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not about that anymore. I'm about that. Amen. I'm about that. I'm about what Jesus has and how he wants to show up. And, and when we enter into the text today, you need to know in Matthew 15 and 16, that Jesus actually was experiencing conflict because as his ministry unfolded, he was seeing people delivered, set free. There were people coming to faith. There were healings happening. And so religious leaders, Matthew 15 and 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were coming against Jesus and we were seeing the beginning of these kingdoms in conflict. It was very chaotic. How Jesus shows up in that and makes himself known is where we turn today. You could turn with me to verse 13 of Matthew 16. And... uh, As we pick up there, there's four snapshots that we're going to look at. Here's the first. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesar Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
And this is a really important question for all of us in this chaotic and crazy time in our country and in our world. Who do you say that Jesus is? Not who did your granddaddy or grandma or auntie or uncle. Like, I'm all about the fact that generations of faith can be set in motion. Amen? But at the end of the day, there's a moment when each individual has to make a decision on our confession of what do we believe about Jesus. It's a starting point, and he's asked that question. Uh, Verse 14, and they Uh, He says, who do people say that the son of man is? In verse 14, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered, and blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is really good news, church. We stand in the good news of not just that promise, but 2000 years of church history that has shown the faithfulness of God, that while the gates of hell will come against his church, his church prevails. We are living proof of that in 2023, amen? It says, and I tell you, uh, again, I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. That last verse there just reminds me that God's timing is always different than mine. Anybody else notice that? that? That he's saying, hey, it's not the time to tell them. It's not the time, wait on me. And that's typically where I get most frustrated with the Lord, timing. God's timing, as you'll see as we unfold this, is often different than ours, but is actually something that if we understand how God works and how, this, how he shows up and is made known, it makes such a difference. So, so let me give you the, the first fill in the blank here if you're taking notes. Uh, making Jesus known, he's known through confession. Jesus asked Peter the question. Peter responds by confessing that he's the son of God, the living God. In the day and age we live in right now, we need to be a people that answer that question and confess that Jesus is Lord, that he's king, that he is ruler over all the powers that be, over all the chaos, all the division, over all of the confusion that we see in the world. Jesus is Lord and the son of the living God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, scripture says in Romans 10 that when we confess, something happens. Let me read to you uh, what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's available today and saying, if you'll confess me, I'm ready to save and rescue you and give you a new life says, for with this heart, one, or what, with the heart, one believes and is justified, and within the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone, can you say everyone? Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, 
bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is incredible news. That's news for you individually. It's news for us collectively. Because what happened was after Peter confessed that, he was celebrated. Jesus said, blessed are you. He he said, in that blessing of your confession, I'm going to build my church on this rock. And there's lots of debate on what exactly that meant. What exactly did it mean? One of the the things that I don't want to do is get into that debate today. What I do want to do is say that there's no doubt Peter's confession was the starting point of the church, the confessing church, that Jesus said, the gates of hell will not come against my confessing church. As that continues on, he says, you have the ability to bind and loose. That's based on a confession of what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about the truth in the world, and also the lies. You see, we want to be the people that loose the truth and actually bind the lies. Come on, church. And so when you think about the keys to the kingdom, there's this admonition to you and I that we might miss the metaphor that was being given. You see, the early rabbinic tradition and the rabbis in that day and age they actually taught and they would loose and bind things. Let me read to you a quote that illustrates this. Uh, it's from Leon Morris's uh, commentary. He says, the metaphor of binding and loosing was used by the rabbis for declaring forbidden or permitted. If we take this seriously, the saying means that the spirit-inspired church will be able to declare authoritatively what things are forbidden and what things are permitted. You see, the confession is in Jesus, but then it's in the people of God, the church, confessing in the world what is truth and what are lies, what is real and what is not. Can you see how we need that in 2023? Can you see how our community and our country needs this? You you see, you and I have to be bolder in the love of God, bolder in the truth, Bolder with his grace and mercy, absolutely. But not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed to confess. And it may not need to begin with what we're against, what we're binding, but what are we loosing? A world in an identity of crisis needs to know the truth about the one who gives and restores identity. And it's gonna come through the confession of the church, the people of God living as his. This is significant because it it sets in motion God's plan here for the church. He says, I'll build my church on this and the gates of hell will not come against it. You and I don't maybe necessarily understand what kind of gates he was referring to and trying to illustrate. Uh, You know, maybe you're like me, like when I pull up to my community and, and my little HOA gate goes like this. Anybody else? You got that little gate? At, at part of your question to yourself is, does that intimidate or scare anybody? Like, am I actually safe with that little arm? You, you see, gates in that day were much different. When he says the gates of hell, these were gates. These were large. They were big. They were bad gates that indicated a stronghold, that indicated security and something behind them. So the gates to a kingdom or the gates to hell would have to them symbolized like it's here, it's coming, 
And he's saying, yeah, you might see it. You might feel like the gates of hell are coming against you, but he will not allow his church to be defeated. He will not allow the people of God to be defeated. That's why we need the ecclesia, the gathered church, the people of God together. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. Now, I got to keep moving because the next portion gets really interesting. He just said to Peter, blessed are you. I'm going to build you. I'm going to build my church on this rock, this confession, this moment. And look what happens next. Verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. I want to pause there because there's a part of this that looks really noble, and I believe at some level probably was, that Peter didn't want any harm to come to, to Jesus. But there's another part of this that I think is the first moment that we begin to see Peter's self-protection and fear begin to surface. That, that in fact, he begins to, to be used not by God, but by the enemy, because what happens later? When Jesus is being beaten and taken to the cross, Peter will deny three times that he knows Jesus out of fear, and I believe some level of self-protection. Notice what happens next. This is the same guy that was just blessed, and yet he's in a conflict, and here's what Jesus says. But he turned, verse 23, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He chastises Peter publicly, but rebukes Satan, not Peter. If you're taking notes, we need to know that Jesus is made known through conflict. And understanding the conflict and what's actually happening and what's behind the conflict is vital. You, you see, you and I are in a battle. There's a conflict. There's a moment there where Peter's will was to not see something happen, and the enemy was using that to try to, to prevent Jesus from going down the path that God had for him, the Father had for him. Sometimes we have to step back and realize that the conflict isn't with the person right in front of us, it's with a spirit behind them that is actually trying to affect and divide and discourage and distract, and it changes how we pray. Now, let me be clear. The last thing you want to do if you're married is look at your spouse and say, get behind me, Satan. Please do not do that, okay? You're not Jesus. Jesus did that. And it, now, if the Lord leads you to do it, that's on you. Pastor Brian said, I ain't taking that one, okay? But here's what I am saying. You need to recognize, just like I do, that there is a spirit often at work in our world that opposes Christ, opposes the church, opposes the kingdom, and we're in a battle, and sometimes what we see right in front of us, we need to understand its source and pray over it. Because if we're in the flesh, it is easy for the enemy to start to affect us. And that's what's happening, I believe, to Peter here, and why he, he rebukes him. Now, let me show you another scripture. Paul in Ephesians chapter six calls out this spiritual battle. 
He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. There is a battle that you and I find ourselves in and Jesus wants to make himself known in the conflict. Part of it is an awareness that we then look at our situations and go, okay, Lord, if, if this is a battle and the enemy is waging war against my marriage or against this relationship or against the situation with my kids or in my neighborhood or in our community or in our country, we begin to pray differently and we begin to operate differently in how we fight that. Come on, church. Some of you have been battling in a way that God wants you to open your eyes and to see a different strategy so you don't fall into the hands of the enemy. So he calls out and rebukes Satan. And let me just get really practical with this. Like this stuff is like everyday living kind of stuff. So Cindy and I, uh, we've been married coming up in on 22 years. Uh, Thursday afternoon, we left on a 48 hour marriage retreat. And uh, as we're driving uh, north on the turnpike towards Orlando uh, for this, this retreat, there's a moment where I'm driving in traffic and I see a strap that had fallen off a vehicle, uh, you know, in my lane, but there's traffic around me and I can't, I, I can't adjust. There's nothing I can do. And, and I hit that strap. Now, as we kept driving for the next couple of miles, I told Cindy, I'm like, I don't see the strap. I just ran over a strap. I don't know where it went. I'm concerned it's kicked up under the truck right now. And, and something's going to, well, just about the time I'm saying that, we start hearing this. And so I, by God's grace, I've never had a flat tire. And I didn't think at first it was a flat. I just thought it's this strap, right? So we pull over on the side of the highway. I get out. And as I get out of the truck, I'm looking under the truck for the strap. Now, um, I, you know, Florida fire ants are a real thing. Um, I found all of them and they found me. So I'm now covered, I'm in shorts, I've got shoes on, and, and I'm covered in these fire ants as I get back into the truck, realizing that the strap got kicked off somewhere, it's actually a flat tire. So this is around six o'clock, right? So we're headed to a marriage retreat, and thankfully, I've been processing this message, right? I've been processing that we're in a battle, that there's something else waging war, that it's not the person in front of me, it's something else going on. You tracking with me? So we're in the truck, and a ranger pulls up, we call a tow truck with our insurance, we call, uh, then we realize we have a spare. Long story short, uh, Ranger came three times, uh, tow truck came and canceled twice, roadside assistance one time and didn't have the right tools. By the time my truck is finished, this was amazing, uh, the, the, the road ranger, and they're incredible by the way, he, he was like something out of Daytona 500 pit crew. Like the third try, he gets out, he's like, got it, boom, done in 10 minutes and I'm off and driving. Now that was 
four and a half hours later, we sat in that truck and we had a marriage retreat. We didn't ask for it that way. We didn't see it coming that way. But you better believe part of what the Lord did was helped us see the battle we were in and that, yeah, you're a little hangry right now, Brian. All I had in the cab was some water and some gummy lifesavers. Those were our dinner, right? We didn't eat till like 11 o'clock that night. But God showed up in that because we were able to find Jesus and see what he was doing and what the real conflict was. I'll tell you, he adjusted our whole 48-hour retreat in the exact way that we as a couple needed. It was incredible. Why am I sharing all this? Because you're going to have moments, you're going to probably walk out in that parking lot and someone's going to tick you off in our parking lot or on 58th Avenue or when you try to park for lunch and you're going to have a choice to make. What's the real battle that's happening, right? Now notice what happens next. What happens next is from the confession to the conflict, Jesus addresses with Peter how we win and how we become victorious and it's revolutionary and counterintuitive to how we're taught in our world. Let me read it to you. Verse uh, 24. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, if you're taking notes here, Jesus is going to be made known through a cross-shaped people. That's what he's saying. He's saying to Peter, listen, I'm rebuking Satan because you're not on my agenda. You're not on my will right now. You're in your flesh. You don't want to get hurt. You don't want me to get hurt, but you don't understand what I'm about to do. You don't understand that I have to go to that cross, that I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to pay the price for the penalty for sins for all of humanity. And in doing that, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to set everyone else free. I'm going to give you life. So Satan, get behind me. And Peter, pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow me, get on my agenda, not your own. Whoo, church. This is not a message that I believe we hear often enough in the modern church. I think we often talk about the cross as the means of salvation, and while that is absolutely true, it is also our means of sanctification. It also calls us forward to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. He has a cross for every believer that may lead you to have to do things differently than how you want to do them. I did not want to sit on the side of a turnpike for four and a half hours on Thursday night. But as I got over myself, as I realized what was happening, I realized that actually, I think this is the Lord's will right now. The enemy threw that strap in the flat tire and God was like, I'm going to take that. I'm going to do something even greater. You're going to have a story to tell because how I'm going to show up, 
Uh, by the way, I love modern technology. I got to catch some of the Lions game on Amazon Prime on my phone. So don't, don't think I'm all that holy, right? Like there was a moment she started working on some and I started watching the football game. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there is a cross that our God says, are you cross-shaped? Has your life been impacted by Jesus? Redefined, given a new identity? And then are you willing in your daily life to, to say, God, what, not, not what's my will, because that's often our problem, right? We'll say, hey, here's what I'd like you to bless. And God's saying, I could, but I got something better for you. Would you mind denying yourself on this one so I can move you to what I really want to give you, which is better than what you're coming up with? Back in 2020, our family had one of those moments, right? We had a decision to make. Will we take up our cross and follow Jesus to this place called Vero Beach? Now, you may look at it, and I might too, and I might say, yeah, I'm, I'm liking Vero, right? I got, I got, Cindy looked at my outfit today. She's like, you look really Vero. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I'll go with it, right? We love it here. We do. We didn't know how much we would love it here after three years. What we knew at the time was we had family that God was saying, you're going to have to walk away from them and trust me. We had kids that you're going to have to move them, even though they don't necessarily want to move, and you're going to have to trust me. You see, God has plans, and often, like he's saying to Peter and to us, there comes a moment where he's like, will you take up your cross and follow me? The word is surrender. Surrendering, and often that's a daily thing. That's what it means to be a cross-shaped people is to lay down our agenda and our will to say, Lord, we're gonna do yours. I believe that's a message for the church in general, but specifically for Pathway right now. I believe God's doing something special here and he's getting ready to do it even more and he's gonna do it through a people that are confessing Jesus, that are making Jesus known in conflict, not getting into the flesh with the people in front of us, but recognizing the spirits behind it, praying, and then loving and reconciling, and at the same time, putting aside untruth where we need to, amen? amen. So confession, conflict, and then cross-shaped. But there's one more piece that I need to show you because none of this is possible in our own strength. None of this is possible if we're to carry this cross in our own strength. That's the whole point. That's what comes next in the text. It's actually in Matthew 17, a few verses, we'll just look at the first nine, that there's this powerful moment with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's a moment that's gonna lead you and I to realize that not only does the cross call us forward, but the cross opens the way for the spirit of the living God to be placed inside of us. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me read. It says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. He led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. This was a powerful moment of Jesus being made known, but he wasn't alone. Verse three, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So you have Moses and Elijah, both who had prophetic ministries. Moses's predicted and, and shared the law with the people of what it meant to be the people of God. 
Elijah, uh, it was restoration. It was coming back to holiness. It was also the foretelling and foreshadowing of uh, John the Baptist and Jesus himself. So they're here. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount? We looked at it a few weeks ago. He said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So here you have Moses and Elijah, both with prophetic ministry and Jesus. This is a powerful moment. Notice how Peter responds. He says in verse four, Lord, it is good that we are here. There's a part of me that wonders if Peter was so overwhelmed with the presence of God that he was like, it's, it's good we're here, right? <laughs> like, it's good we're here. He's like reaffirming himself because look at what he says next. He says, if you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, and if you look at the presence of God throughout scripture, Genesis to Revelation, what we see is God desires to be present with his people and to be intimate. Sin separates that, and then there's a move of God throughout every moment in scripture that's God bringing his presence back. He began to do it uh, through the tabernacle, which was like a tent that they would move with God's presence as God's presence moved. Then there was the temple where it was now built and that was the dwelling place and the Ark of the Covenant was there. And then you had Jesus, right? In John chapter one, it talks about he was, you know, he pitched his tent. He came full of glory, the incarnation, God's presence. And, and so it makes sense that Peter is saying, hey, let's pitch a tent over each of you. It also makes me wonder if a part of him was trying to control the presence of God. That if there's a part of him that was going, I don't know if we're safe, I don't know what this is gonna mean for us, because in scripture, there are moments where the presence of God strikes people dead. So can we put a tent here? Can we camp here? Can we hang out here? Makes sense. Wonder if we do that sometimes too. But look at what Jesus says. The father actually is the one that says it, verse five. He says, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Can you say listen? Listen, listen to him. You see, being in the presence of God isn't just about our feelings. It's about what God does to grow our faith and our feelings, but also listening to the Lord listening to what he's saying to us. It says, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Moses and Elijah were no longer there. They saw Jesus only. Can I just submit to you, church, in this season of chaos and craziness in our world, we need to see Jesus only. We need to see Jesus. We need to lean into him. We need to listen to him and be obedient to whatever he is showing us. So as they saw him, last verse says and, uh, that I'm going to read out of this section. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. You see, again, he's saying, wait on my timing, wait on what I have, don't get ahead of me. A cross-shaped people also need to be a spirit-filled people. 
you're taking notes, making Jesus known, we've got to be presence-filled, spirit-filled, and that's what happens when they leave the mountain. You see, when they leave the mountain, Jesus, a few months, weeks later, I'm sorry, not months, weeks, he goes to the cross. As he comes through the cross, through the tomb, and is resurrected, what does he do? He says, you don't need to pitch a tent on this mountain anymore. I'm going to pitch a tent in you. I'm going to place my spirit in you. I'm going to place my presence in you. And that is what allows us to live for Jesus. We can't do it in our own strength. We can only do it in his presence. Praise God they didn't stay on the mountain. Praise God they came down and listened and let the Lord give them his best. In 2 Corinthians 6, let me just read to you what this says, and then we're going to process what it means for us. Paul said to them, as far as this idea of his presence in us, he said, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I believe that as we think about the fact that we want to be a cross-shaped, presence-filled people, that there's a spirit that God has placed in you and I. There's a flesh, there's an enemy waging war, And there's a God who says, will you listen to me? Will you lean in? Will you let go of that? Will you separate from that? There are things in your life today and in mine that God's saying, that was once acceptable, it's no longer acceptable. I've got better for you. Will you come out from it? Will you be separate? Will you say you matter more to me than anything here on earth? I don't know what it is. It could be a habit. It could be an addiction. It could be a relationship that's unhealthy and toxic. Again, don't tell them, get behind me, Satan. Start telling Satan, you're not going to use this relationship anymore to hold me back from the presence of God and from what it means to be yours. All right, I'm on fire. I'm feeling it. Here's what I want to do. Because it is not at all about anything but Jesus today. So I'm going to just simmer down and I'm going to ask you a few questions. I'm going to pray us into responding because this is about you and the Lord. This is about you listening to him, letting him be known, cross-shaped, presence-filled. First, have you confessed and received Jesus? If you don't know him, I've said this before, you can be around the things of God. You can be in a church for decades and never confess and receive Jesus. Our heart is that you receive Jesus today if you haven't done that. You can pray right where you're at. You can come forward. We're going to have a whole team up here ready to pray today. He's here for that. Are you about that? Secondly, are you making Jesus known during the conflicts you face? Are you making him known and recognizing that you thought it was this and it might have an element of this, but there's an enemy behind that and Jesus wants to show up in this? So what would that look like today in any conflict that you're facing? Thirdly, where do you need to take up your cross and follow Jesus today? Where is he saying, deny yourself? You thought it was this, I have better for you. Will you follow me? 
Will you follow him and take up your cross? And fourth, are you looking, listening, and being filled with his presence? Because his presence is available and it changes everything. So I'm gonna pray us into a time of responding and here's what you need to know. We're going into an extended time of worship. As we do that, we're gonna start by receiving communion together. And so hopefully you received those elements when you came in. If you're online, just grab something in your home. If you're driving a car, don't do that. If you're here, get your hand up if you don't have the elements. And we're gonna receive communion together to remember what the cross and the offering of Jesus is to us today. This is for every believer, those that have confessed in Jesus, As we receive communion today, we're then gonna enter into a time of worship. We'll have prayer partners, leadership from the church, board of directors, staff. Uh, We're gonna be up front and available. We'll have uh, a number of us have anointing oil if you'd like to be prayed over and and, you know, anointed for whatever the conflict might be or whatever uh, the victory is even. Prayer and praise can happen in these moments, amen? So as we go to the communion table and pray through this time together, you can pull out the, uh, the cracker or wafer. This symbolizes Jesus's body. Jesus, as I said, came in an earthly body, fully God and fully man. He took the cross of his own volition, laying down his will for the Father's will. He took that cross And he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. He's available. And so right now, scripture teaches us in 1 Corinthians 11 to examine ourselves. So I'm going to just give space for you to talk with the Lord and examine yourself. And then we're going to receive this after I pray together. So go ahead. Jesus, we thank you for your body, symbolized by this bread. You are the bread of life. You took the cross, sinless and holy, to pay the price for our sins. So Lord, it's with great repentance and rejoicing that we just confess that we need you more than ever. Thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. Thank you for being our bread of life every day. In Jesus' name, you can take it in remembrance of him. The juice symbolizes Jesus' blood. The theology, the big word, is the atonement. That Jesus' blood is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. His blood is not like ours in the sense that he was sinless and holy. His blood, his name carries power, power to deliver us from sins, power to bring wholeness and healing and freedom into our life. So take a minute with you and the Lord before we receive the cup together.
Jesus, we thank you for this juice that symbolizes your blood, the atoning covering for our sins. We thank you for what you have done for us, for paying the price. We thank you for the grace that washes over us as we look to you. We thank you that your blood opens the door for the Holy Spirit to enter into our lives and to fill us in new ways. So I pray, Lord, that as we receive this, we would receive you in a fresh and new way. We thank you. You may take of the cup in remembrance of him. Our God is good, amen? If you'll just stand right where you're at, if you're able, you can set these down, try not to spill it on the chair. We're gonna go into an extended time of prayer and praise and worship. Leaders, uh, you know who you are that have been called on. Just come forward right now. They're gonna kind of line the front. And uh, we just wanna create space. Some of you, this is new, and we would say, that's great. Some of you, you actually, uh, you may have kids that you wanna go get and bring into this and experience it you know, with them. But we just wanna praise and worship him and make room for the presence of God in our midst, amen? So Father, we give you this time. We just pray that as we praise and worship and as we call on you through prayer, that you would bring a move of your spirit among us. We hunger and thirst for more of you. Have your way during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.